All right, very good. Let's take your Bibles tonight. We're going to uh, be in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 27. Uh, we began uh, this month, the month of January, of course, uh, starting a new Bible study. We closed out uh, one last year as we uh, looked at different attributes of God. Uh, now we are looking at, going through the book of Exodus, and looking at the structure known as the tabernacle. And we're doing that for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is, is because uh, this year, according to the banner behind me, of course, uh, is a year of preparation uh, for our building project that Lord willing will start in 2024 as far as getting our building put up out on the property. And But also, there's a lot of practical application uh, when it comes to the tabernacle. And uh, there's a lot of things that we can learn personally from it. And so uh, we're, we're taking a journey through the Old Testament particularly the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and De- Deuteronomy, looking at the tabernacle. So if you find your place, stand with me together as we read. We're just going to read one verse uh, for our text verse tonight. We'll look at several more. Exodus chapter 27, the, and looking at verse 9. Exodus 27, verse 9. The Bible says, Thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle, for the south side southward there shall be hangings for the court of fine twined linen of an hundred cubits long, for one side. Let's pray. Lord, bless us tonight. Help us, Lord, as we uh, look at your word for just a few moments and pray, God, that you speak to us, Lord. And we don't just want to uh, fill our heads with knowledge, Lord. We want our hearts filled with wisdom. Lord, give us practical things, application, uh, Lord, as we look at this tonight. We thank you for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, so far, uh, we've looked at uh, the different people of the tabernacle as far as uh, those that were involved in its, uh, uh, its, its architect work, its construction work, and uh, those involved in the service of the tabernacle. That's what we've looked at so far, the people of the tabernacle. Now we're going to start looking at the structure itself and uh, uh, give you a few things about it tonight. And again, I'm, I'm not going to bog you down with it. I'm not going to uh, draw this out real long, but I want to point out a few things, and uh, and then we'll, of course, look at some practical application. Let me just remind you what the tabernacle was. It was the tent-like structure uh, that the children of Israel set up as they traveled throughout the wilderness. And uh, this uh, tent-like structure uh, was uh, given directly to Moses by God. This was instructed uh, from, from, from God himself to Moses to have this thing built in the wilderness. You say, where did it come from? Well, the Bible tells us that there was a pattern that was showed Moses in the mount. And that pattern was the one that was in heaven. So there's a tabernacle in heaven, and uh, no doubt it's probably a little more fancy than the one Moses built. But all that to say, uh, it was a representation of some things. And so it was this tent-like that was set up as the children of Israel journey through the wilderness. Now, uh, there's some particular, uh, um, uh, as far as the, uh, the way it was broken down. And again, folks, all this was on purpose. All of it was for a reason. Listen, God never does anything by accident. God never says, well, let's just, we don't have anything better to do. Let's just do it like this. That is not the way our God operates. Our God is a God of order. Our God is a God of infinite detail. He pays attention to things, and He wants for us to pay attention to some things. And so that's what we're going to see tonight. So the first part of the tabernacle, and eventually, I didn't do it tonight, but I am going to eventually have a, uh, probably on the screen up here, show you a, uh, a rendition of what the tabernacle looked like. Uh, if you're curious, 
you can um, you know go to the uh, you know the, the the source of all knowledge, right? Google, okay, and uh, but not really, okay. But you can go to Google and just type in uh, Old Testament Tabernacle, and it will bring you up several um, uh, pictures, if you will, of what the tabernacle looked like based upon the description here in the Book of Exodus. So let's look at this tonight. A few things here. First of all. Well, the first part of the tabernacle was known as the outer court. And this basically was within the first section within the walls of the tabernacle. Now, the Bible gives us the dimensions of the outer court. And it tells us that the length of the court shall be 100 cubits, which a cubit was 18 inches in our uh, in, in the English linear system. So that would be 150 feet, okay? That was the length of it. The breadth uh, was, um, was 50 cubits, so that's 75 feet. And the height of the wall around it uh, was 7 1⁄2 feet. And the Bible tells us that that was the, uh, that was the, the, the dimensions, if you will, of the outer court. And uh, what's interesting is, is that there was only, get this now, one way in. You think that was an accident, amen? And it was on the east side. And it was the gate, and it was uh, 20 cubits long, or 30 feet long, 30 feet wide. And so you have this, this uh, structure with these walls uh, that, were, uh, that were on the perimeter of it. And the walls made up this rectangular uh, pattern that was 150 feet by 75 feet, and the walls were seven, seven and a half feet tall. Now this linen fence, if you will, that was made out of, Bible talks about the different materials, and we'll get into that to another night. But it was a dividing wall between God's presence in the tabernacle and man outside. Now what's interesting about it is the reason God had to get that wall built there was because it prevented any wrongful approach to the tabernacle of God. So just in case you're wondering, God's about walls and fences. Amen? I'll let that application be made how you want it to be made. Okay? But listen, folks, hey, even in heaven there's going to be a wall. Okay? And so this idea, let's just tear down all walls and, and all unify and hold hands, sing kumbaya, we are the world. Listen, that's not a biblical philosophy. Now, you say, well, preacher, I don't think I like that very well. Take it up with God. He's the one that said for it to be done this way. Amen? And by the way, that wall was for a specific purpose. And I'm going to show you this in just a minute. Because I'm going to tell you, without the wall, a lot of people would have died. A lot of people would have died. Let's look at some other verses here. Uh, let's go to um, let's go to Leviticus, uh, Leviticus chapter seventeen. All right, I told you we'd be uh, flipping through Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and, and probably some in Numbers. Uh, but Leviticus chapter seventeen, and that is the next book past Exodus. And uh, Leviticus, of course, I taught you this uh, stands for the tribe of Levi. They were the priests, and they're the ones through which uh, served the tabernacle. Leviticus chapter seventeen. And uh, let's look here at verse 8, all right? Verse 8 and 9 of Leviticus chapter 17. Notice what he says. And thou shalt say unto them, Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or the strangers which sojourn among you, that offereth the burnt offering of sacrifice, and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer to the Lord, even that man shall be cut off from among his people. And here God says, look, when you offer these sacrifices and you bring them, there is one proper way to do it. And that is to bring it, by the way, 
They weren't the ones to charge into the tabernacle and make sure it got done. They were to bring it to the door of the tabernacle and let God's ministers take over from there. You know what that was called? Doing it God's way. Doing it God's way. By the way, this is how, back in the Old Testament, mankind had to approach God. Why? Because of sin, that's why. Remember I told you back in the Garden of Eden, sin messed everything up? God never intended for it to be this way. God wanted man in perfect harmony with himself, perfect communion with himself. But guess what? We messed it up. Because we had to do it our way. And God said, okay, do it your way. you got free will, but there's going to be consequences for doing it your way. By the way, there's still consequences for us doing it our way. Amen? God's laid it out according to the Word of God, how it ought to be done. And when we get stubborn, when we get proud, and we say, God, we're going to do it our way, God says, go ahead, but be prepared to face the consequence for it. And God said there's a consequence if you don't bring your sacrifice the exact way it's supposed to be done. Now go to Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1. Just a few, page, a few pages over there. And look at almost to the end of the chapter, verse 51. All right, verse 51. I'm going to tell you, God was very emphatic about these rules He had set up. Notice what it says in verse 51 of Numbers chapter 1. And when the tabernacle setteth forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And look at the last part of the, uh, of the verse. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. You say, did, did, you, meant, you meant God has capital punishment for breaking certain laws? Yes! Capital punishment is biblical. I'm telling you, folks, the Bible's not politically correct, amen? But who cares? What's God say about it? God said, listen, no strangers are to come uh, in, in that door of that tabernacle. The Levites only are supposed to be doing the work that needs to be done. And then, if you will, go to uh, Numbers chapter 3, verse 38. Numbers chapter 3, verse 38. And again, we see almost the exact same thing uh, uh, mentioned again. But those that encamp before the tabernacle toward the east, even before the tabernacle of the congregation eastward, shall be Moses and Aaron and his sons, keeping the charge of the sanctuary for the charge of the children of Israel. Now remember what I said. That's not an accident. Remember what side the gate of the tabernacle was on? It was on the east side. And you know what God said? I want the Levites, Moses and Aaron, I want them to be the ones that camp right up against that gate. By the way, if you, again, you go, look at, you go to the book of Numbers, it tells us how the children of Israel were um, organized in their camps around the tabernacle. So many groups were on the north, south, east, and west side. By the way, you know what you see in that? Order. Amen. By the way, God is a God of order. Amen? Amen? He's always been and always will be a God of order. So that tells us this. If there's disorder, it ain't coming from God. Amen? Better start sniffing a little bit. You'll start smelling some brimstone. And when there's disorder and confusion and chaos, it ain't coming from the God of heaven. I can tell you that. Oh, it's coming from a God, all right, but the little G God, the God of this world, is where that junk's coming from. But God says, look, I want the Levites, I want Moses and Aaron, I want them camping by that gate. I want them to be the guardians, if you will, of the gate because that's the way it needs to be. I need someone to, uh, uh, to protect the people from me having to kill them for breaking my commands is what God's saying. So literally you have 
uh, 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 human instrument standing between the people and God as far as for to, to help lead the people right and guide the people right. And that was Moses and Aaron and the Levites. And look at the last part of what it says there in verse 38. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. So again, God was very specific about this outer court and this wall around this outer court and what it was to do. It was to protect the people from from uh, 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 doing it their way and from God having to kill them if they did it their way. Now all that, here's the practical application. Now don't miss it. Because let me tell you something, folks. I understand God sometimes changes His methods on things. I'm going to tell you, God never changes His principles on things. Remember this. Now think about it. Remember how many doors I said was into that tabernacle? How many, church? One. One. Mm. I kind of remember a verse in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 9, where Jesus said, I am the door. Amen? I am the door. By me, if any man enter therein, he shall be saved. See what that tells us? Hey, just as there was one door into the tabernacle, one entryway to get to God, there's still only one way to get to God. And that's through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Only one way. You say, oh, that, that's pretty narrow-minded. You better believe it is. You say, you Christians are narrow-minded. Here's how I'm this narrow-minded right here. I'm as narrow-minded as the width of your King James Bible. Amen? That's how narrow-minded I am because let me tell you something, folks. God has it set up a certain way. And Jesus said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. What about all those people out there that, that sincerely believe something else? Well, you know what the sad truth is? They'll sincerely go to hell. I didn't say it. God said it. You mean you mean those people out there that, that think that you know uh, Allah is just another name for God and, and they pray to Allah and commit their life to Allah? You mean you mean to tell me God will send them to hell? No, they'll go to hell over the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And let me tell you something, folks. That, let me tell you a sad, uh, sad reality. Anybody that believes anything except Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven will go to. hell. By the way, you know what that means? We as Christians have a job to do is what it means. That's why we have a missions program, by the way. That's why we go out on a continual, consistent basis and get the gospel to this community because people need Jesus Christ. Amen? Just as there was one door into that, into that court of that tabernacle, there's only one way to God, and that's through the door, His Son, Jesus Christ. So you know what? We all better make sure we have the right relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. By the way, that's not just a casual, oh yeah, I believe in God relationship. That is a relationship where the Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That means this, folks. It's not just here, it's here. You believe in Jesus Christ enough to put all your hope and all your faith in Him. You understand you can't save yourself. You understand there's no other thing on this planet that can save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. And you put all your faith and all your trust in Him. And you say, Jesus, I can't save myself. I put everything in you. Please save me. Please make sure that I'm going to heaven. Guess what? That's how you're saved. Amen? By a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me just encourage you. Make sure you've been saved. Make sure you've been born again. Amen? Listen, I can't read your heart. Only God can read your heart. Only you and God know whether or not you're truly saved and born again. By the way, I don't believe you can be saved and not know it. Now, I understand there's some times where you have doubts. There was a time in my life where I doubted. But you know why I doubted? Because I was backslidden. That's why. 
Because I was away from God. And because I was away from God, and I was grieving the Holy Spirit of God in my life, He wasn't giving me that assurance that I needed because my relationship was wrong with Him. By the way, it didn't mean I need to get saved again. It meant I need to get right. Amen? And, and, and uh, turn from my backslidden ways. But I'm going to tell you right now, make sure, make sure, make sure your trusting and your hope and faith and trust is in Jesus Christ because He's the only way. Just like there was only way, one way to that tabernacle. So, you had the outer court. That was the outside part. Now, let's look at the second place here. Go and take your Bible to Exodus chapter 26. Exodus chapter 26. There's three main parts to the tabernacle. There's the, the, the outer court, which was, again, it was the part that was on the outside. It was exposed to the elements. Then, within the, the, the outer court was the, uh, another uh, structure, if you will. And within that structure, there were two rooms. The first room is known as the holy place. Okay, let's look at this. Exodus chapter 26, and uh, let's look at verse 33. Exodus 26, verse 33. And here's what he says. He says this, he says, uh, <clears throat> And thou shalt hang up the veil under the taches, that thou mayest bring in hither within the veil the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. Now, what we see here is within the, the structure that was within the court, okay? Uh, you had another tent-like structure, and that, that, and that was divided into two rooms. The first room was known as the holy place. It's where the priests served. Uh, it was where there was uh, the uh, known as the, uh, the furniture of the tabernacle. Uh, that would have been the table of showbread, the golden candlestick, and the altar of incense. In fact, that, that holy place uh, is mentioned over 43 times in the Bible. And it was the room that the priests would execute the ministries God had assigned for them. And by the way, they, 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 they performed these services for the people and literally they stood between God and the people in the performance of the sacrifices, the keeping of the table of showbread, the, the light, uh, the light uh, burning on the candlestick and the burning of incense. Now we're going to talk all about those different pieces of furniture as we keep doing this Bible study, but the room that all that was contained in was known as the holy place. Let me tell you what's interesting about the holy place, okay? You know what you don't find in the holy place? You don't find a, a chair. You don't find a bench. You don't find any place for the priest to sit. You know why? Because the priest's work was never done. The priest's work was never done. By the way, you know what? That means this. God has a place and a purpose for every Christian to serve just as He did the priest. By the way, if you're saved and you're a Christian, you've been born again, that means God's got something for you to be doing. Amen? God didn't save you just to sit. I can tell you that. God doesn't want you to just be sitting on your blessed assurance all the time. He wants for us to do exactly what He says to do, to get up and go and do and serve just what I preached Sunday morning. We're not saved by good works. We're saved unto good works. And once you get saved... Guess what, Christian? It's time to get busy about your father's business. Time to get busy about your father's business. Uh, go to Galatians chapter 5. Let me just show you here a couple verses about yeah, even today uh, the, the service that we're to be involved in. Now remember, uh, the priests were involved in the service of the tabernacle. And they were always busy. They were always doing something. And 
And once we start getting into these sacrifices and showing you all that was uh, uh, contained in, in doing all that stuff, listen, man, these priests were always moving. They were always going. They had long work days, and uh, they, they had to do all this stuff. But you know what? God expects us, again, as His people to be, be, to be busy doing stuff. Amen? Just remember this, folks, again. There is a place of service for all of God's children. Okay? What are you doing for the kingdom of God? That's a fair question. Well, what are we doing for the kingdom of God? By the way, not all the tasks are the same. By the way, not everybody can do the same things. Remember the priests? They all had their certain jobs. The, the Levites did certain things. The priests did certain things. Everybody had their specific task that God had for them to do. Just like today, God has a specific task for all of us to do. But hey, hey, listen, we all ought to be doing something. Amen? Notice what we see here in Galatians chapter 5. And I'll just read a couple verses here. We won't get deep into it. But notice what he says here in verse 13 and 14 of Galatians chapter 5. Here's what he says. He says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now first of all, let me just say this, okay? Because this verse gets taken out of context a lot. Okay, here's what, well, it's called uh, uh, Christian liberty. And, and Christians want to use this verse as an excuse to live a carnal, worldly life and use that as an excuse where no other Christian ought to say anything to them as long as they go, you know, well, I have liberty in Christ. Well, they don't finish reading the verse. What's it say? Yeah, you got liberty, but don't use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Amen? That means this. God does not give you a reason to justify your sin. Amen? So, you know, we, we believe, uh, not just we as Baptists, but the Bible teaches, yes, Bible doctrine, once saved, always saved. Amen? Right. Prove it to you from the Scripture. All right? We didn't do anything to save, save ourselves. We can't do anything to lose ourselves, if you will. Amen? All right? Now, that's a, another uh, a truth for another time. But all that to say, because we believe in eternal security, here's what we get accused of. Oh, you Christian, you think just because once saved, always saved, you can live how you want, and you're still going to heaven no matter what? Listen, folks, that's not what we believe. Amen? That's not what we... Listen to me. I'm not doing what I do or not doing what I do because I'm worried about going to heaven or not. I mean, come on, folks. That's one of those ludicrous things I've heard. Yes, as a child of God, are you still going to make mistakes and fail? Absolutely. Have you arrived yet? If you have, why don't you come sign my Bible tonight? I'd love to have your signature in there if you think you've arrived. Amen? Nay, none of us arrived. Amen? But listen, my, my eternal destiny has nothing to do with what I do or don't do. That's all based upon Jesus Christ. But all that to say, yeah, exactly right. I'm not going to use the freedom I have in Christ to justify wicked, sinful behavior. And neither should any of us. Amen? Listen, let's get to the Scripture see what the Bible says. Amen? And let, 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 let's let it examine us. Let's let it be that mirror, that looking glass that we see into, and let it show us what we really are. And I'll be honest with you, it's not always a pretty picture. Because the Word of God ain't going to lie to you or ain't going to lie to me. Right? And it ain't going to tell you what you want to hear. It's going to show you exactly what we are. That's what it's supposed to do. Amen? So here's the deal, though. What's the point in this liberty God gives us? It's this. Look at the last part. But by love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So yeah, we ought to be in service today. You know who, who part of we ought to be in service to? One another. Amen? Be in service one to another. Seeing what needs we can be. Listen, let me tell you our main problem is Christian selfishness. Pride and selfishness. 
Okay, we always want to think it's everybody else. Somebody else, look what's pointing back at you. Let's stop worrying as Christians about this person or that person. Let's look into the perfect law of liberty and let God deal with us about ourselves. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you, when we do that, then guess what? It'll help us really uh, get to the point where we can humble ourselves and make sure we're right with the Lord. And so we're to, number one, serve one another. Go to Colossians chapter 3. All right? Colossians chapter 3. Let's look at what else we see here. We see uh, verse 23 and 24. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. I love this verse. This is a whatsoever verse. Verse 23 hits. Just like we love the verse uh, uh, where it talks about and whosoever believes on the name of the Lord, that whosoever is an all-encompassing term. Well, guess what the word whatsoever is? It's an all-encompassing term. And whatsoever ye do. So that means this. Anything you do. Okay? Sometimes Christians, well, what verse do you have about such and such? You know, give me a verse that says I can't do this. Oh yeah, there's carnal Christians that say stuff like that. You tell me what the, you know, what's the thou shalt not command? Well, you know what? Listen, come on, let's be real. You think really? I mean, you know how big the Bible would have to be if it said thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and name all of mankind's things that we involve ourselves in that we shouldn't, okay? All right, but notice here, notice what it says here, and whatsoever you do. So that means this, anything you do. Here it is. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So that's what this means. If what I'm doing, I can't literally be doing it for God and the fact that God will be pleased with me, then you know what? I shouldn't be doing it. Amen? And look at the next verse. Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Look at the last phrase. For ye serve the Lord Christ. So we're to be serving others. We're to be obviously serving the Lord. Amen? That's what this thing the Christian life's about. Serving the Lord. And all of us ought to be involved and serving the Lord. And then let me just show you one more interesting verse here, because I thought this was interesting, because sometimes we think this thing about service is a result of, you know, the sin curse or something that is, you know, uh, way down here, and we have to humble ourselves to do all this and all that. And, and I think uh, the fact that we do have to humble ourselves is true. But let me just tell you this, folks. Service has nothing to do with the sin curse. Look here at Revelation chapter 22. By the way, there's a reason God wants you busy serving now. Okay? Because here's the thing. If you don't have a servant's heart now, you're not going to enjoy heaven very much. Look what he says in verse 3. Okay? And again, we're talking about the eternal state here. We're going to talk some about this more in Sunday school, Lord willing, this Sunday. And notice here. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and other lambs shall be in it. And look at the last phrase of verse 3, Revelation chapter 22. And his servants shall serve him. Let me tell you right now, folks, we'll be serving God in eternity. Amen? You ain't going to be sitting up there and having floating around on a cloud playing a harp but so bored out of your mind. I literally have people say, oh, I don't want to go to heaven. I'll be bored in heaven. Listen, people don't have a clue what they're saying. Now, let me tell you something. We'll be serving in there. Amen? And I'm going to tell you right now, there'll be a lot to do to serve our Lord. So I'd like to say, just as those priests served in the holy place as they performed their um, their duties, you know what? We as Christians ought to be serving as well. Amen? Amen? We ought to be serving as well. So hey, here's an idea. Find somebody to serve and get serving. Amen? Amen? By the way, if Jesus could do it, what's our excuse? If Jesus, if Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect sinless Son of God, humbled Himself enough to get a towel and wash 
his disciple dirty, stinky, nasty feet. By the way, those were back in the days where they didn't have, you know, the footwear we have today. They didn't wear socks and they didn't have the Reeboks and Nikes and muck boots and all that. No, you know what? For the most part, they wore sandals over there. Could you imagine how nasty? I mean, I'm going to just tell you something. For experiment, if you ever wanted to really gross yourself out, walk around your house all day without socks on and then look at the bottom of your feet. Well, we've done it before, right? Well, I don't, because I, I don't ever not have socks on, right? I'm tenderfoot. That's what I am. I tell you that. Uh, but, um, no, I, that, listen, washing feet is a pretty humiliating task. But if Jesus did it, by the way, He did, if He did it, what's our stinking excuse? Amen? Okay? And remember what He said? The, the servant's not above His Lord. That's what Jesus said. And so, the priest in the holy place, it was a place of servants, and then one more place here for just a, about five more minutes. Let me show you the last place here. There within the tabernacle was known as the most holy place, or we refer to it as the holy of holies. All right, go to Exodus chapter 26. Exodus chapter 26, back where we were at. One verse, verse 34. Okay, remember the, the previous verses talked about that curtain, which was known as the veil. And it was hung there to separate some things. It was to make a separation into this next compartment within the, 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 the tabernacle structure known as the most holy place of the Holy of Holies. Notice what he says here in verse 34, Exodus chapter 26. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. In the most holy place. This was the second tabernacle that contained one thing in that. Well, technically, to the Ark of the Covenant, which was the box that, that we think of that Moses made that was pure gold. And on top of that Ark, on top of that box, if you will, was the lid. Okay, I'm using pretty basic terminology. But that lid was called the mercy seat. And upon that mercy seat were, 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 were the cherubims with their wings. And we'll talk all about, we'll have a whole Bible study about the, about the Ark and the mercy seat. But it was within, on that mercy seat, once a year that the high priest would enter that Holy of Holies and it was separated from the, from the holy place with a really thick veil. And again, we'll talk about that. It's all symbolic, okay? And he would enter into there and once a year would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat and only the high priest could do it. Only the high priest. Nobody else could do it. And by the way, if he didn't do it just right, God would strike him dead. You know why? Because the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, was the physical place back in the Old Testament times where God's glory dwelt. God dwelt in that holy place. And let me tell you, it was a very, very sacred place. I mean, they, they tell us, history tells us, or, or uh, Jewish uh, history tells us that the priest, the high priest, would have to put bells on the bottom of their garments. And not only would they put bells on the bottom of their garments, that here's what they tell us, that, that, now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but again, Jewish tradition tells us this, history, that they would also have a rope tied to the foot of that high priest. And as long as they heard the bells, it meant the priest was alive and the priest was doing what he's supposed to do. But if they stopped hearing the bells, it meant the priest didn't do something right, God struck them dead, they couldn't even go in and retrieve them, thus the rope was tied to the foot, they'd have to drag them out of there. That's how sacred, that's how holy this place was where God dwelt. And once a year, he'd go in there and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. Now, here's the practical principle we'll be done, all right? Just as there was a most holy place for the priest to meet with God where God dwelt, 
Guess what that translates for us today? Amen? Guess where God dwells now? Does God dwell over in the Middle East somewhere in a tent-like uh, structure with a veil separating and within the small room known as the Holy of Holies? Is that where the presence of God dwells now? Of course not. You know where God dwells now? Look in the mirror and you'll see if you're saved. Amen? He lives within us. By the way, doesn't that truth take on a new meaning when, when the Bible says, Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord? The fact that the, the, the very holy God of the universe, the Creator, the One that dwelt uh, uh, back in, 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 in the Old Testament times and, and within that holy place. And, and if you read, if you read right now, read the Deuteronomy, it talks about how the God spoke to Israel as Mount Sinai was on a smoke and on a fire and He thundered out and the people were so scared of the presence of God. They said, Moses, you go up there. We can't be around God or we'll die. Listen, the same presence of that God, the holiness of that God is the one who lives inside of us. By the way, that thought ought to captivate us and that ought to motivate us from defiling this temple right here. There's a reason the Bible uh, talks about that's important that we take care of our temple. Amen? It's not just because it's our physical body. We only get one and once it's done, that's it. No, as a Christian, it's the, it's the place where the Holy God of Heaven dwells. Amen? He dwells within us just as He did the holy place. And by the way, just as those priests would go in and have a time where once a year they met with God. You know what, every Christian, you know what we need to do? We need to, not once a year, okay? Probably not even just once a day, but all throughout the day, we ought to be having a communication with our God as well, amen? Listen to me, folks. I, I, wish, you, I wish we'd get this, okay? Uh, you know, let me tell you why a lot of Christians have problems with carnality. Why we have problems with sin. Why we just can't figure out this thing of the Christian life and we just keep beating our spiritual heads against the wall all the time. You know why? Let's be honest. It's because we don't have a true relationship with God. We're saved, amen? We got the Holy Spirit as the resident, but let me just tell you this. He ain't satisfied with just being a resident. He wants to be the president, amen? He wants to be the one calling the shots. And God wants us as His people in 2023 to be in close communion and fellowship with Him. Let me tell you why we can't. Because we're too filled with self and sin. Amen? And because of self and sin... We can't have a good relationship with God. And here's a fair question for all of us. Don't answer me. Man, let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. How is your relationship with God today? Did you even have one? Here's a fair question. Every Christian ought to be able to answer. What God speak to your heart today through His Word? You ought to be able to answer that. Amen? What, what, you know, uh, if you could describe your relationship you have with God today, what was your communion like with Him today? Amen? I hope that's convicting. It ought to be convicting. Amen? Because we ought to take this thing serious about who we are as Christians and who God is. And so, let's look at one more passage here and we'll close it out. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Actually, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. I've got a couple references, but I'm just going to share one with you and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, call it after this. Hebrews chapter 4. Again, talking about the opportunity for us to have a relationship with God and be in the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, okay? Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Listen, if you need any motivation at all to be a faithful Christian to the end, there's your motivation right there. 
Jesus Christ and what He did for us. And the fact that He was our high priest <coughs> and He's passed into the heaven. By the way, the reason He passed into the heaven because He fulfilled the will of the Father on earth. Amen. He did all that God wanted Him to do. That right there ought to be motivation enough. Why in the world do we think we need, you know, oh, if uh, I can't make it unless this happens or that happens. You don't need anything to happen. Jesus Christ already happened. Amen? Okay, verse 15. For we have not an high priest that which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmity, our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let me tell you why you can make it. Jesus walked where you walked. All points tempted like us. Here's what I believe that means. Anything any human being has ever been tempted with, Jesus Christ met it in the wilderness when Satan was there. I believe even the temptations of the day Jesus Christ faced. By the way, He didn't just face three. There's just three that got recorded for us. There was way more than that. All points, the Bible says, tenth of life as we are yet without. So for 40 days, when Jesus was in that wilderness, Satan bombarded Him with anything and everything the human race would ever face when it comes to temptation. I mean, I, I believe that means sins of the day. Sins of our day. He faced it all. Amen? And by the way, notice what it says, yet without sin. He never sinned. Amen? He never sinned. Now, you and I can't say that. We've sinned. We've probably sinned today, no doubt about it. Okay? And it may not be some great, what we call great, you know, horrible sin. But listen, folks, sin is sin in God's eyes. Listen, if you thought a wrong thought, if you had a bad or, or, or a word against somebody else coming out of your mouth today, whatever it is. We've all sinned, amen, but Jesus didn't. Now because of that, because He's our great high priest, because He's passed in the heavenlies, because He was faced with everything we've ever been tempted with, look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Amen. Aren't you glad it's the throne of grace? <laughs> Not the throne of judgment. Man, I'm thankful for that. That we may obtain what? Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, you know what that means? We as Christians have direct access to the throne of God. Direct access. I mean, literally, you don't have to go through a priest anymore. You don't have to go through animal sacrifice anymore. You don't have to go through a veil, through the Ark of the, the, Ark of the, the, the Testament, and the mercy seat, and all the blood, and all the sacrifices, and all the things they had to do. We don't have to do it anymore. We have direct access to the Father. Why aren't we using that access? Why aren't we using it? Why aren't we enjoying the relationship God gives for us to enjoy as Christians? Amen? And so, the holy place, uh, the most holy place, the holy of holies, was that room where the ark was at, where man went to meet God. And now, we as Christians, we're the holy place. Amen? Or we ought to be the holy place. we got Him living in us. Hey, how about this? Let's live up to the standard of the God that lives in us. Let's not try to dumb God down. Let's live up to His standard. Amen? And be what He'd have for us to be. Lord, we love You tonight.